Genesis chapter 5 this morning. If you have your scriptures, I'd like to invite you to take them and we will consider a large portion today, verses 1 through 24, Genesis chapter 5. Think about this. This is our first Sunday in the fifth month, okay? May, fifth month, fifth chapter. Is this working out neat or what? Let me assure you this will be the last time that that actually happens. I want to welcome every single one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. It is a delight to already lift up our voices and to sing together of how much we need the Lord, how he is there for us in times of difficulty, and I rejoice in that truth. I do want to express um, personally just... um, Gratitude for the love that you have shown our family um, to us. This past week with the um, um, homegoing of my mom, and you know there's a, a, a scripture verse that we speak of a lot here, that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ when something is heavy on us. And um, in all honesty, in ministry, I, I think we do that a lot for others but I just want to report that you have, you have helped carry our burdens. And you have done that so well. Uh, the number of cards and texts and phone calls and flowers and emails, you have refreshed and strengthened my heart, our family's heart. And um, I want to say thank you for that. Appreciate uh, Pastor Aaron last week stepping in in short notice. And... Um, did an amazing job with the challenging text as well. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we dive into our text this morning? Father, we are most grateful that you've allowed us another moment such as this in your sovereign plan. You've seen this day, you've set this day apart for us to be together in your house on your day with your word opened up before us. And I, I Pray, Lord, first and foremost, and I I plead with you that there isn't one person here today that would ever for a moment dare think that they just check a box of something that they're supposed to do today. Father, that we would all be reminded that you are present with us and that you are alive and real and that you speak And Lord, we need to hear from you today. We thank you for the examples of good, godly men and women throughout the pages of Scripture. But as we pause just on one today, I just pray, Lord, that you would illuminate and that you would allow us to walk as the faithful ones have walked. Lord, please be with me. Give me strength and clarity of thought and mind and speech. May everything that is said and done be for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah. Amen and amen. <clears throat> it was my mom who, who gave me a love uh, for people, and it was my mom who gave me a love for biographies. And this is, in a sense, today a brief kind of biographical sketch for us to look at this morning and, Lord willing, learn from. 
So where have we been following the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3 that revealed the disobedience of Adam and Eve? In a sense, we, we follow that description of just how far people can fall into the depths of depravity in chapter 4 as it reveals just outright rebellion, the bloodshed of Cain and, and Lamech, as Pastor Aaron reminded us last week, that lead to, in a sense, what? The, the way of man versus the way of God. Or in Augustine's word, what? The, the city of man versus the city of God. But thankfully, chapter 5, which I actually heard one commentator say that Genesis chapter 5 is the most depressing chapter in all of the Bible. We see one phrase repeated over and over and over again. But, but actually, chapter 5, it actually begins to turn the corner. And we are introduced to the fact that what there, there is hope on the horizon here. And there is help. There is what I call the beginning of the pathway to the Redeemer. While we have already been introduced to Seth last week, whose name means chosen one, and it's through his line that we are introduced to Enoch, who is what? Described with this one short epitaph as one who walked with God. And then later in this chapter, we're introduced to another hero of the faith who kind of emerges in the Old Testament landscape. And that is Noah, a hero of the faith. Hebrews chapter 11 describes him by faith. Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. In reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And so we begin to turn the corner that there's good news on the horizon here. Yet we'll very quickly learn this. That it's really not about Seth. It's really not about Enoch. It's really not about, no, it's, it's never about a man or a woman in the lineage or the line that leads to and points to the Messiah. Yes, God does call. God calls and chooses and blesses and uses people all the time. But it's always, always, always about the one. The one. And what? Us. Keeping our eyes on him. And keeping our faith in him. So we're going to read this text here. I'm going to, I'm going to read it just a little quickly because of the length of it. But as we read it, I want you to look for this one phrase that is repeated eight times. And he died. And it stands in stark contrast to another phrase that we will hear and see mentioned only one time. Here's the phrase, and was not. Today we'll focus primarily on Enoch, who offers us an example that there is life. And I would say this emphatically, there is eternal life, strictly and only for those who walk alongside of and trust in the one. Again, before we read, just real quick to clarify, remember there's two Enoch's. Not to confuse you, Pastor Aaron introduced us to the first one last Sunday from the line of Cain. That's Genesis chapter 4. He's the fourth from Adam. Had a city named after him and he walked in the way of Cain. Well, today we examine the second Enoch, Genesis chapter 5, or what is referred to as the seventh from Adam in the line of Seth. 
and he walked with God. Okay, just to understand here, like, aren't we hearing the same guy appear, two different guys? Here it is, the word of the Lord, Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 24. <clears throat> this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they're created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he had fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel had lived 65 years. He fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died died. I think you're seeing a pattern here. When Jared lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he had fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. The word of the Lord. Verses 1 and 2, real quick, right out of the gate, after this introduction of the book of Adam, as it is referred to, there is this intentional kind of repetition of subjects that seem to be for emphasis here. They are establishing what I would call a baseline of basic biblical truths and doctrine. Moses, the author, was not just a great author, he's a great expositor. He is making sure that we get the big picture as far as what is this book of beginnings teaching us. The scriptures reiterate three core doctrines right here. The first one is what? It is God who created everything. We speak of his sovereignty. Secondly, what? It is mankind that has been created uniquely from everything else in the image of God. That's the sanctity of life that we celebrate, that we speak of. And then thirdly, what? It is God who created, and it's specifically mentioned, male 
and female. This is clarity in light of what is happening in our world today. It actually says this. I love this. And he blessed them. In a sense, God is saying what? This is my plan. And this is a good plan. I think the author is reminding us, don't be shocked here. Don't be surprised that the world has and will continue to literally rage. And that is not an exaggeration of a term. That the world will literally rage against God being the creator and seethe at his perfect creative design. And so people know this. Rest assured of this. Regardless of the world's response, it does not change the truth, the baseline. Call it what you want. Ferocious battles of humanism, evolutionism, relativism, transgenderism, that there is a supposed fluidity to God's plan, and it is not true. All attempting to dispel or to displace the authority of God and his work. Be assured, people, this is, there's nothing new here. It has existed in the fallen hearts and minds of mankind since the very beginning. God knew that these things would exist, would continue to exist, what? Until everything is made new again. Now, we will not examine every single name from verses 3 through 20. But note here something that is interesting. The genealogy of Genesis chapter 5 demonstrates extraordinary multiplication. This is going to be key for the future. It's actually referred to here as the 10 generation structure that purposely leaves out gaps. And offers room for what? Substantial increase in population. And there were other sons and daughters. Yet it also reveals something that is amazing here. It reveals a precise order. Order. Just as Adam to Noah includes ten generations that we just read in Genesis chapter 5. If you were to continue that pattern in Genesis chapter 11, there's ten generations from Shem to Abram. That pattern continues on. Another genealogy listed in Ruth chapter 4. From Perez to David. It includes ten generations. God is a God of structure and order here. Four points I want to give to you. The first one is this. And it's quite obvious. Number one, Enoch walked with God. The phrase is repeated twice. Verse 22 and verse 24. His name, the name Enoch, literally means in Hebrew, dedicated. One that is disciplined or one that is trained. And this phrase, walked with God, is only applied to two men in all of Scripture. One is listed here, Genesis chapter 5, that's Enoch. And the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 6, we'll see that what? Noah walked with God. And it's a common term in eastern countries used to describe a close personal relationship. They walk with one another. Here it's what? Communing. Walking with God is communing with God. Think as if God and Enoch were walking side by side. Whereas the ungodly 
And the wicked are without God and they walk contrary to him. The godly walk with God. Remember the rhetorical question in Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. Can two people walk together unless they are in agreement? No, it doesn't work like that. I know it may be somewhat subjective and so we'll build toward this. But I want you to think about your own personal relationship. Your own personal walk with God. This morning as we work our way, is this something that is close? You walk close with God? Or is it, it just seems like, whoa, he is just way out front. Wendy and I walk regularly. We actually try to walk every single day. And what's interesting, after 30, what, two years, we figure out a little bit of the fact that we actually have to give thought. Whereas, whereas Wendy's steps are a little bit faster than mine, they're also a little bit smaller. And so when we walk, there's like this constant, what, dance of not getting too far ahead of one another and it expands when we walk with someone who is older you slow your pace down when you walk with the craziness of your grandchildren it's like what just all over the place you have to be especially aware I appreciate how one commentator actually describes this word walking with this this phrase in ongoing intimacy in ongoing intimacy. I wonder how another person, think about your own walk, how would someone else describe your walk with God? I wonder if they might use phrases or terms like, yes, that, that woman, she walks. It's evident. It's obvious. She knows. She communes. There's an intimacy he walks with God. Could that be said of you? I began the list and it was simply too many scriptures, too, too many to read about the idea of walking and how it is, it is, it is used to describe what is expected in the life of believer. A child of God, a follower of Jesus. There were literally hundreds between walk, walking, walked. We're to walk uprightly. We're to walk properly. We're to walk in my statutes, God says, in my judgments and in my law. We're to walk in integrity and in wisdom. We're to walk in the light, in the ways of the Lord. We're to walk by the Spirit, by faith. You realize that Enoch was doing all that in a unique way. And as we think about, like, what is my walk and how would someone else describe? I, I know that's hard. So the second point here, in a sense, gets to how it looks like and, and what specifically does it look like? Like, what was it that Enoch was doing? The scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, build upon this. And they give to us a description of exactly what it means 
for Enoch to walk with God. Secondly, we'll see that Enoch pleased God. <clears throat> it's called the, what, the roll call of faith, or the heroes of the faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to what it says in verse 5. By, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taking, taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder. He rewards those who seek him. It, it's here in a sense that we are given a bit of an inside glimpse of this man's unique and amazing faith. We could call it God-pleasing faith. God-pleasing faith believes what? Everything about God. All of what Scripture reveals to us that God is totally God, which means he is sovereign. There's what? There's not a, a, an article, a speck of dust that moves in the light that, that he is not controlling. There's not a star in the sky that he does not know by name. God is sovereign. We know that God is good. Yeah, but, but last night on the news, we saw yet another. This is the third one in one week. Another mass shooting. Nine people dead in Texas. Like, like, and we hear this, and we're like, but God is good. H how do we, what, like, wait a minute. God sees it all, and he sees it all at once. God is sovereign even in what? In the terrors of this world. God is good. God is loving. God is just and perfect and holy and righteous. Enoch, what? Believes it all. Enoch believes that God is everything that he says he is. He is trustworthy. He is immutable, unchanging. God is merciful. He is a, a, a God of grace. He's grace-giving. He's our rescuer. He's our redeemer. All of that is exactly and precisely what Enoch believed. This is exactly how he lived, and he literally demonstrated what a God drawing near to those <clears throat> who believe that he exists. God draws near to those who seek him, which means you wake up in the morning, and it's not about the long list of things that you've got to get done in order to be like bigger and better in this world. No. First and foremost, we seek him. As a result of that, he was not. Like, couldn't Moses give us a little bit more? Enoch was no more here on this earth. Why? Because God took him. And that's kind of hard for us. Enoch was here, and then he was not here. If you remember, there's another one in Scripture. Remember Elijah? The only other one who did not die? 
At least with 2 Kings chapter 2, we have the record of Elijah. And we have a little bit more. We like this. It's described like this. Behold, chariots of fire. Horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind. I mean, we have a little bit more. Take me like that. Enoch was not. We're not given any details. Martin Luther has some fun with this. And he says this. Because think about it. <clears throat> In Luther's exposition of Genesis. He imagines the effect of the translation of Enoch on his godly friends. He notes how Enoch's father and grandfather would have been quite disturbed. They would have launched a manhunt. They would have been wondering what could have become of this great preacher of righteousness. No doubt they suspected foul play on the part of Cain's descendants. Enoch had preached against their wickedness. Perhaps that's why he had been slain like Abel, and probably buried secretly. At last, though, through the revelation of God, they learned that Enoch had not been murdered, but had simply been taken away by God and given a place in paradise. Why should God have acted this way? Luther asks. It was, he says, to show that death is not the end but rather that there has been prepared and set aside for men another and also a better life than this present life, which is replete with so many misfortunes and evils. You have to think about someone who is just here one moment and gone the next. Why? Because Enoch truly expected God, and there's this phrase, would reward those there's something special for those who seek him. Now, for us, we tend to think of a reward. Most of us think of it as something like immediate and, and physical or tangible. God's rewarding us with a big home, a nice home, or a nice car. Good vacation or good food. Not, not so. That's, that's, that's the message of the prosperity gospel. That's, that's the message what, that has become the plague of the American pulpit today. Rather, God's reward is something that is so much bigger. God's reward is so much deeper and richer and lasting in eternal home as revealed in what? I love how Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am going and I'm going to be preparing a place for you. I was reminded, Revelation 21, it says that this place is, is a place where death shall be no more. And it's described in, in verse 4 as a place where there's no tears. The last time that you couldn't sleep at night because your, your pillow was soaked with tears over what? A loved one. The worries and fears that await us, what's next. God is preparing a place where there are no more tears. There's no more mourning. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. And later in that same chapter, it says, because there's no more sin in this place that God is preparing. 
last Friday, um, I had the privilege speaking at my mom's funeral. It seems odd just to say that. And, and, I, and I used her Bible. And I love um, to flip through, and I have it with me. Dad, let me keep it. And as I was reading this weekend study, and I, I noticed in my mom's Bible, I wanted to see what mom had. It just was marked up all over, a woman of the word. And, and in Hebrews chapter 11, mom had underlined kind of in a, a shaky little line. She underlined this particular phrase from verse 6, a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. A rewarder of them who diligently seek him. And it was underlined, but what caught my attention was right next to that, there was a little side note that mom wrote. And I quote Ruth Joan Boger. With this underline in mind, she said this, remember what God has already done. You, you do realize that we look forward of what is in store for us. And we look forward to, there's a reward. And like the brokenness of this world, there's something that we look forward to. Why? Because of what he has already done for us. You see the connection here of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Enoch recognized that. And he lived in light of that. Which we will see in a moment here that he recognized what? The, the, the darkness of the world, the sin that exists in this world. And he had the faith to turn from it. So much so that it's described that he pleased God. What could ever be a better testimony? What could ever be a better achievement in all of your life? Rather than all the junk you save up or pile up or touch or shine or the things that you work to that will no longer last. What could ever be better? Greater achievement for any one of us than to know what? He pleased God. You do realize this. The clock never stops. And there's going to be a moment where what? We're coming to your funeral or you're coming to mine. And, and you wonder, would that be said of you? That man, that, that woman. Wow. She pleased God. You know, you, you'll never, let me, let me, let me, I don't want anything hidden. You're, you're never going to win a popularity contest in this world when you live with a desire and a longing to please God. I'm reminded of it every other Wednesday night when we gather in the conference room and, and we know that there's a quote there from 1 Thessalonians and, and we know what it says but before that, which is not on the quote it says for those who have been approved by God and those who have been entrusted with the gospel that's all of us we've been entrusted with the gospel as a result of what? what does it say in there? take a look at it it says as a result of that so we speak not to please man but to please God. It's going to affect everything. 
because we have been entrusted with the greatest message in the history of the entire world, that there is, there is what? There's a solution to the brokenness that exists around us. We've been entrusted with this. Then we understand what? It's going to affect the way that you think and speak and act and talk and walk. It affects everything. And what? It, it, you're going you're gonna to stand out. Enoch didn't win any popularity contests. You go to the third point here. Enoch prophesied of God. And again, we go just to the verses before Pastor Aaron read this morning. The verses right before that in Jude chapter, in, there's only one chapter, Jude 14 and 15. It says this. It, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all. And what? To convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So, so we know that Enoch didn't just walk with God. He didn't just please God. He prophesied of God. One who prophesies, that's one who preaches or proclaims. There's two parts to his proclamation. There's two things that Enoch continued to say over and over and over and over again. The first part was what? It was a proclamation of the Lord's pending judgment. Woe, people. And the second part is what? A condemnation about all the ungodliness that was so pervasive in his day. And I am well aware of it. I'm one step ahead of you this morning. I am well aware of the fact that this is where we begin to kind of part ways with our dear friend Enoch. Because what? After all, judgment... And condemnation certainly do not sell well today. How in the world are we to ever to fill the seats of a church with such dark and dire and depressing words such as that? I'll tell you one way we're not going to do it. Last Saturday we were down south. The south is interesting, okay? The south is interesting. And, and the south has like churches on every single corner. And what, what apparently I, I found out what's interesting is that I was reminded when I was down south about the, the damage of a loveless and a graceless gospel. I was reminded, I saw it. This is what we don't want. Every Saturday, apparently from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock in this particular town, from this particular church, everyone goes out on the street corner. And, and the guys wear ties, and there's little boys there, and they got their ties on. There's nothing wrong with wearing a tie. And, and the ladies had skirts on, the little girls, they had skirts on. And, and on every single corner, 
every single corner. I drove around purposely like this can't be real. Every single corner, people are holding a Bible up. And as they come to a red light, they're always on the right side. They're shouting and telling people to repent from their evil ways. By the time I just drove around to count how many, I rolled my window down. Don't roll your window down. And I didn't say anything. I just wanted to listen. And, and, I, and I thought about it, and I, I just heard, like, just shouts of anger. Apparently, and by 4 o'clock, they were gone. Apparently, only 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock, people are reminded of how evil they are. What was interesting was this. And as I rolled my window down and just kind of, forgive me, I'm just staring. I'm just staring. I got a staring problem anyway. And I, and I wondered if they thought, actually, I, I believe the gospel and I teach the gospel. And I was struck with this, and this is what probably broke my heart or saddened more than anything else. The, the scripture verses that they were quoting and they were reading were the same scripture verses that we use. Exactly. Another translation. But in, in all honesty, it's the exact same truth. But it's the way, the way it was done. And what do we learn from that? That we cannot ever move from the truth. But I tell you what, we better put great thoughts to coming alongside of people. And you don't stand and shout at them. What? You sit with them. And you bear one another's burdens. And you love them. And you speak truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 reminds us. Enoch in a fallen and a corrupt world. Apparently was very clear in his speech. And he was very accurate in his theology. So much so that he is forever remembered as one who walked with God. And was rewarded as one who pleased God. So much so that God actually took him. So there's lessons here on harsh truth that has to be spoken. But I tell you what, we better do this in grace and mercy. Because the fingers that are pointing at what you being such a sinner actually speak of our own hearts and the fact of our own need for a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. Fourthly and finally, and very quickly, Enoch left an example of how we should live for God. Frank Mead, in his brief biographical sketch of so many in Scripture, describes Enoch, son of Jared and father of Methuselah, as flashing like a streak of sharp, clean lightning across the lowering evil skies that announced the flood. The most commanding figure from Eden to Ararat. He walked with God in a world made hideous by the screams of murdered men repulsive as a jubilee house of crime. In the midst of the din, Enoch communed in everything, in everything he thought of God. To his fellows, he was type of a perfected humanity. To posterity, he is known as the man who could not die. Here in the days of the beginning, eons before the Christ, dawns the hope of immortality. 
Enoch never knew death. He was translated like Elijah from one phase of existence to another. God took him. His life never stopped. It simply went on. It was not resuscitated or even resurrected. It was eternal. He always thought of it that way. Life and God for him were always in the present tense. Why is it not so with us? That's a great question. Why is that not so with us? Enoch's life is a testimony of the fact that those who walk with God in this life will walk with God in the life to come. What kind, often, what kind of an example are you leaving? And obviously, it's just, it's just fresh in my mind. When you see things like flowers and a coffin and a hearse and, and a cemetery and a tombstone, they all remind us and they speak to what? the brevity and the finality of life here on this earth, what will be said of you? Again, if you would allow me, my own mom, who certainly had limited gifts, she had limited resources and a body that was just wrecked with pain for decades, and yet, Mom, she, she would never, she would never, and she could never say, it can't be done. She was actually described in the funeral as one who had ferocious faith. And she always, always, always spoke of her Savior. 60 years next week, 60 years of marriage to Dad. 32 years in full-time ministry, four children, 15 grandchildren, 24 great-grandchildren, and her legacy lives on. After all of that, simply because of her faith in Jesus, it's all, what? It all boils down to that. Everything is summarized, and we pick these words to be etched on her tombstone. Because of her faith in Jesus. It simply reads. It is well. With my soul. In a sense. She followed the example. That Enoch gave us. She too for what? The first time walks. With God. Will you? Will you? Here it is, very quickly. Assess your own walk. You have to examine your own life. How do people describe you? Because you're leaving impact. You've got to examine what your witness. Are you living in complete faith in God? In, in Him? Not in you, not in your gifts and brilliance and beauty. Are you expecting a reward? For those who seek him. And then finally consider your words. Do you, do you proclaim the full counsel? Not bits and pieces. The full counsel of the word of God. May that be our hope.
May that be our prayer as we too seek, like Enoch, to walk with God. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are unchanging, that you are present with us, that you speak to us through your word. Lord, please, please give us the strength that we need, particularly in a dark world, to walk in faithfulness for you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tim. I invite you now to stand with us as we close together in song.